Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends and how they define the world around us. Welcome to episode 75 here at the department. And we are going to continue our deep dive regarding the history of preppy style and breaking news, the turnaround that is happening right now at this very moment. <laughs> right now. Uh-huh. Well, it isn't really, but I mean, it's, it's, it's getting bigger. It's getting better. And you're going to be seeing a lot more of it. Woo! Uh, but <laughs> before we jump in um, really quickly. Follow, rate, and review. Um, you know, just please make sure to follow us on Instagram at underscore the underscore department. <laughs> um, also, please follow us on your preferred streaming service. Um, make sure to give us a rating and a review if you can. Um, and then if you're looking for show notes, image references, etc., you can jump by our um, our website, thedepartment.world. Yeah. Sound. Yeah. <laughs> it's like jazz hands of the of the words. Every episode I'm gonna come to you with a new sound effect generated by me. I'm just like that guy in the police academy movies. Oh no. God, I love that guy. Me too. He was so good. Now I would love to have him as a guest, but I think he died. You think he did? But if he were still I think he did. I feel like someone told me that, but I also have like took away a lot of ecstasy for a few years of my life. So there's a chance it was just all like a weird, you know, rolling experience. That's true. That's true. I'm pretty sure. But if that guy is still alive, we should just get him on the podcast. What would we talk about? Just It noises. doesn't matter. That's true. Okay. Oh, we will be like, oh, today we're going to be talking about denim trends. <laughs> and then he could just be like, we are, or something. I don't even know. I'm just saying it'd be like really good. It's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Let's talk preppy. Okay. Well, you know, on the last episode, we really kind of, we talked about J. Crew. We talked a lot about J. Crew. And we're going to talk again about J. Crew on this, um, on this episode. We also talked about kind of the beginning of the trend back in like the um, 1890s to the 1900s through the 1920s. And then, you know, the 1950s, which was like a very big moment for the trend. Um, and then we move into the 80s. Um, you know, and as, on a side note, I, uh, there was a, a book that was published by uh, a Japanese, uh, I guess, author back in the 60s. It was called The Ivy Style. And mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't talk about it. I think it's extremely fascinating um there it, there's it's really extensive because essentially what happened was like um the the jap the, there's a big following in the japanese culture for this like americana mm-hmm. style and preppy style that was happening mm-hmm. in the 50s and then by the 60s it it wasn't quite as popular um but they had come over to like write a book and take photographs of all these people and then they realized that people weren't really wearing it anymore so they staged <laughs> the whole thing 
I have seen this book. Can I just tell yeah. you, like, any menswear store I've yes. gone to in Japan has a copy of this book. I think it's so fascinating. When I learned the truth about this book, I was surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I on a note, uh, and I was going to mention this at the end of the podcast, but because it's so relevant, because I'm talking about it right now, um, you know, nearly at the end of my research, I actually stumbled on another podcast that is a super excellent listen. Um, really, really, really recommend it. It's Avery uh, Truffleman, who's a journalist. Oh, I love, I love her. What is it called? It's called Articles uh, of Interest. So good, and I love her voice. I, she is. Oh, I, 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 you know. I idolize it. She does such a beautiful job delivering mm-hmm. um, her journalism. Um, so it's called Articles of Interest, and she does a multi-series podcast on the sociology of the prep trend. And she interviews mm-hmm. a lot of fascinating people along the way, kind of through the lens of focusing on Ivy style and in particular. And... Uh, even kind of deep dives into the Japanese culture around the trend, um, like the culture of Japanese thrifting, you know, and this like huge moment when, um, because there was such a demand for this American aesthetic, there was this, you know, there was this giant um, shipment and shipments that were going over from America of imported secondhand fashion. That was, it's really interesting. I'm not going to get into it because mm-hmm. I think she does such an incredible job. So, you know, you know, pop over there. Don't stop this podcast, obviously. Um, but yeah, though you, I think if you like uh-huh. the department, you'll love, you'll love Articles of Interest, which is a spinoff of another podcast, if you haven't heard, that you will also love, which is 99% Invisible, which is about uh, how design impacts so many different aspects of our lives that you wouldn't think about. And uh, the host has just the most hypnotic, sexy oh. voice. So, Roman Mars is his name, which sounds like a stage name, but I believe <laughs> it's not. <laughs> uh, well, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not talking about um, the Japanese cultural aspect, but I definitely recommend listening to that podcast because then you'll get a, a really great rec- uh, accounting of it um, mm-hmm. as I then now jump into the 80s. Because when the 80s came around, it really evolved once more and it really became iconic in its own way um the aesthetic was still aligned with the privileged but now mm-hmm. with the rise of mass brands it made it dressing as a preppy more democratic democratic and attainable um to a certain extent um so for example prep adjacent status brands like tommy hilfinger calvin klein lacoste were becoming increasingly available i mean you know um it's not necessarily re- realistically available, uh, attainable because those brands also were, there were a higher price point. For, um, and it was like kind of that time period when these came out and everyone was shocked that, you know, Calvin Klein had a hundred dollar sheet, you know, and now jeans yeah. are like, I mean, you know, $500 break the bank. Oh my gosh. I know. Like if you want good ones, yeah, that's how much you're going to yeah, spend for a brand new so pair. Expensive. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. But besides this kind of sort of accessibility, um, we can really credit the rise of preppy in part to the release of the official preppy handbook in 1980. So right at the cusp of this new decade, um, this was an ironic tongue in cheek reference guide on the aesthetic as well as culture and a true behind the scenes account of this exclusive secret society of people, their habits and their sensibilities. 
So along with various humorous insights on prep school and Ivy League university life, the book pulled back the curtains on many aspects of upper class, old money and wasp society. The book sold well over a million copies, and it inspired legions of people to adopt the look, unironically. So even though the book was ironic, people just, they loved it. They, they, like, you know, we could have a whole podcast on the reason behind this, but essentially the opportunity to dress like the aspirational elite in uh, kind of a more, during that time period, materialistic culture, I mean, not that time time period because that's right now anyway. But um, the eighties was a super materialistic culture, and it was just irresistible. Uh, and of course, we all know the old adage: mockery is the sincerest form of flattery. <laughs> I mean, this is like all of the eighties teen movies. Uh-huh. <laughs> Right, yes. like the archetype of the rich yes. kids. Right, this is how they dress. The blames, like, the blames uh, of oh, the yes, world. Totally. I mean, like when when I think about preppy style of that era, the first name that comes to mind is Blaine yes. with an E. Uh, I suppose that's the only way it's it's spelled. Anyway, uh, I've never actually met anybody named Blaine. IRL. Blan. Blan. Yeah, and I just think like. You know, I was talking to someone recently about how none of those 80s teen movies hold up at all. They are like, they don't align with the values of our time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of racism. Things get really rapey. Uh, I just, uh, it's yeah. just there, Everything about it is terrible. But wh- when you tell me 80s preppy, I immediately go to every teen movie of that time there was always some rich villain guy who dressed this way, yeah. right? Like it's, you can name it. Even I was thinking about like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, different film, probably holds up. I'm not sure. Uh, they had a lot of this preppy style in that. Mm-hmm. Like this was so everywhere. I mean, even I remember like my one cool cousin who was from California and was like 10 years older than me when I was like little she dressed this way, and I was like, she's so cool. Oh, yeah. She's like in a movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> she lives in California, but it was probably like Sacramento or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. This thing, it took over. And one of the reasons is because this book came out. And then, of course, you know, it started trending, and then it became, you know, it, it was everywhere. It was like, it was in all of the movies, like you said. It was just um, brands were popping up left and right. Um. Yeah, it was. It. It. I, I guess it was like monoculture at its finest. Um, and so I have this. There, I have this great poster that I put in here. I pasted it in here. Um, that came out in 1979, even before the handbook book, which will be in the show notes on our website, thedepartment.world. So interesting. <laughs> and I'm gonna post it. In, I'll put it, it on yeah. Instagram too. So make sure to follow us yeah. on Instagram. Um, but you can really read into the zeitgeist of a trend um, that had created its own cultish following and conformist structure. It was creating dissent through mockery and lampooning in the ranks for literally years to come. So this poster was designed and printed by um, this person, Tom Shattuck, when he was a student at the University of Virginia in 1979. Um, And it's really just a diagram (laughs) 
of a guy who's dressed in you know, traditionally kind of preppy clothing named Nathaniel Elliot Worthington the Third. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and they literally point out every single thing uh, that would make this person of uh, uh, visually uh, preppy. Um, so, like down to the to the shoes. It's like no socks, cuffs, or rain gutter. Noah's Ark deck shoes, uh, baggy pants. They have to be Brooks Brothers or J Press. I mean, they literally they go through the absolute like conformist <laughs> um, image of what a preppy is. And there's a test too. Um, let's see. Does your mother buy mon- monogrammed tea bags? If you had your life to live over again, would you still fall in love with yourself? <laughs> Do you believe it's your duty to be snooty? <laughs> After a big weekend, do you experience bottle fatigue? Oh I know, my it's just a bunch this, of things. It's hilarious. Is, this guy is kind of sexy, though. Yeah, oh. Yeah, I'm I like, mean, it's you're not my type per se, but I'm like, well, you know, I'd, I'd give him a roll in the hay. Yeah. <laughs> Come out of bed. I mean, he's got to have yeah. a lot of money. Got to see I how mean... he's dressed here. He's <laughs> got an initial ring on, a navy blazer. Uh, yeah, oh, an initial ring. Oh, oh my God. The, Boner killer. The best is he's apparently wearing an IZOD because underneath the blazer is a polo shirt, and they point out the fact that there's a hibernating alligator. Oh, my God. Which means that the IZOD alligator or. Um, Right, is it I- Wow. Was Izod that had the alligator, or was it? I mean, oh, no, I'm only it familiar was- with Garanimals. <laughs> <laughs> it was Lacoste. Lacoste. Um, Lacoste, Which was, yeah. owned, you know, who owned, uh, uh, Izod owned it. So, yeah. Right. There's, that's why there's a confusion here. P- apologies. Um, okay, so the, um, there's also, you know, I, the, the, I put t- pasted in the preppy handbook also, the, look, Muffy, a book for us. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's tongue in cheek and it's hilarious. Mummy and daddy. Oh, <laughs> uh, and you know, all these kind of t- different kind of reference points of what um, even like the, the smallest dissection of the aesthetic turned out to be, which is the cute boy, which is the Blaine, the good old boy, which would be, you know, s- some dude with the beer, a beer at a frat party. And then mm-hmm. the S S seat who is like um, kind of the nerdy, the nerdy version. Um, and so, you know, what else is so fascinating is that actually I found out that this, that this book and the reflections on like young urban professional culture actually inspired the founder of J. Crew and wow. Arthur Sinder. Um, and it actually inspired the actual collection that he created because he wow. recognized there that there was an opportunity. There was a demand for prep clothing, and he wanted to capitalize on the book's popularity. I mean, so smart. Yeah. This kind of stuff through the 80s and the very early 90s filtered its way even down to the small town where I grew up. Like, we didn't have a J. Crew there. So if you wanted to have this kind of aesthetic, I, you probably could get something at a department store or, or, like, The Gap, I guess. But I remember specifically... A few trends from middle schools that were like the watered down 
prepubescent central PA version of this. One was that we all got into wearing boat shoes without socks. Really? Specifically, Sebago's were one of the brands that were really hot. And I begged and begged and finally got a pair. And it, like, they... (laughs) destroyed my feet um but i felt really cool another thing was like wearing khakis was cool and like tight rolling them did you ever do that at your school you know i was not very cool i think i did i mean neither was i a little bit i mean everything i got was a hand-me-down from my um you know that went through both of my sisters and then (laughs) then with but actually came from my my really religious um cousin so so whatever trend existed was not in my wardrobe. Every once in a while, I could get, usually my grandma, to get me something that was the cool kids were wearing. Boat shoes were one of those. Wow. Uh, I definitely remember all of my pants I tight-rolled. And for those of you who don't know what that means, you're hashtag blessed. But you would basically go down to the cuff, and you would pinch it in until it was practically cutting off the circulation to your feet, fold that in super tight, and then roll it up a couple times, and it would be like so tight you couldn't like bend your legs properly. But it would give your pants this sort of like balloony sort of look, I guess. I don't need, I don't know what we were doing. <laughs> but you know, where I grew up in Pennsylvania, for a big bulk of the school year, it is not warm. Okay. Oh, and here we are. We're wearing yeah. we're rolling up our pants and we're wearing boat shoes without socks. And I remember this was something that my mom and I would get into a little disagreement about when I would be leaving for school. She's like, you're not, you're not not wearing socks to school. It's January and your ankles are like exposed to the elements. And I would be like, whatever, put on socks, go to school, immediately take them off and put them in my locker and then be kind of cold all day. Um, But like, those were things, you know, there were definitely girls who wore blazers to school, which is just like, what? Like we're in seventh grade, you know? Um, I, it's just some of this is like really taking me back, even looking at these photos that like the way just random elements made their way to my town where no one just trickled played polo, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, if you had a horse, it's because you lived on a farm. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know. Just, it's just interesting. Like this was peak monoculture, which by the way, I'm hoping that our next series of episodes are going to be about monoculture. I've started looking into it because I think it's something that we come back to time and time again. And it's sort of the antithesis to the TikTok micro aesthetic Mm -hmm. culture that we live in now. But like in the monoculture era, everybody was being a little bit preppy at least. Yeah. I mean, you you didn't have too many places to look for clothing. I mean, (laughs) no, no. And I feel like the I know the gap was like a little bit more denim focused, but like where I lived, if you wanted, if you had money, because the gap I remember being wildly expensive, this is where you would go to get in a small town, you would go find a gap Mm -hmm. to get as close as possible to this. Uh, Yeah. I mean, very interesting. I mean, and this one, this is also probably going to rock a few memories in that head too because the preppy handbook also supported massive growth for lots of other labels like you mentioned even with was it sabago yeah sabago sabago i have no idea they're like brown boat shoes everyone with like those like leather uh ties or whatever imagine me wearing a pair of those shoes because i have I, I can't. I know. I know. I can't. I, that's the last time I wore a brown mm-hmm. pair of shoes for sure. Um, <laughs> so the handbook drove just phenomenal interest in the aesthetic and the culture. And this is like really when LL Bean 
became a booming brand. Oh my God, yes. Fueled by the, you know, consumer interest. And it's still today associated with the look. Uh, Mm. But that one's like classic. Yeah, and you know what? Unlike some other brands, like I was thinking of Land's End, yes, which was sort of on the periphery of this as well, especially at that. Which time. is also, by the way, a Wisconsin. It's it's a Madison oh, brand, almost it's right outside of Madison uh, brand as well, which is has always been very wow. interesting. Mm-hmm. So I feel like LL Bean never made a wrong oh. turn that I can no, think of. They that, just like, stayed their they, point they of just view. See what they were doing, but L- Land's End at some mm-hmm. point. Was in partnership with like Sears. Yes, it's and got it was dark. very brand damaging. Yeah. A friend of mine, gosh, I mean, it was back when we were working at Nasty Gal. She was hired by Land's End to help them do a rebrand that would like help them get back to their roots. But she was telling me she's like, it's impossible because they can't get out of this Sears deal. Oh, it's like she's like, I feel like I'm being paid to waste people's time right now. Oh, that's so sad. Which, yeah, I know. But LLB, they they mm-hmm. I, they didn't make any rash decisions, which no, I appreciate. They're just like we're going to make some boat shoes, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, boat shoes and um, boat bags, and you know, a vest. Uh, this like, <laughs> <laughs> and we're just going to keep doing that flannel. Yeah, we're just not going to yeah. change it because our cost, yeah. we know who our customer is. Um, yeah. Uh, so not to be outdone by the Americans, you know, the English slap back with their own version called the official Sloan Ranger handbook. Um, and that was in 1982, two years later. And the handbook was pretty much a knockoff of the preppy handbook. But from the perspective of like the noble aristocracy and the English elite at that time, and it mocked but also celebrated the subculture, referring to um, like a, this stereotype in the UK of the young upper crust uh, who echoed similar traits and tendencies from their US counterparts. And the most notable of all Sloan Rangers was, of course, Lady Diana Spencer. Uh, before she married the Prince the of Wales. The candle in the I wind, know. everyone. Well, no, the, second the second candle. candle. The second, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but still, the second. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, wow. Um, uh, you know, naturally, American and British preppy style, you know, they, they've been taking cues from each from one another from the start, um, which is why there's a lot of traditionally British textiles, prints, and patterns that are built in and feeding each other kind of inspiration for decades. But of course, the Sloan Ranger handbook did a similar thing um, in the UK that happened in the US, um, and it just bl- just blew up. Um, and of course, I mentioned that mockery, of, of course, has been a constant amongst this pre- preppy <laughs> aesthetic. It's really funny that people just are constantly mocking it, but also obsessing on it and loving it and just, you know, fueling it. But it all they all have like kind of one thing in common. And, and it really is. It just matters what you wear. And mm-hmm. to actually nail this style, it's important to have the right uniform. Um, and as a truly consumption based aesthetic particularly back then, consuming the right things, the right brand, the right style, and having the right wallet to afford everything is kind of a signal to everyone else kind of in that same social sphere of you that you actually indeed belong. Um, And naturally, those who sacrifice their individuality by imitating displays of superiority uh, were, and some extent nowadays are, rewarded with fame and success. 
Um, and so you'll actually see a lot of people do these like uh, these mockery things of the the preppy guidebook. There was another one that even came out um, in uh, I think 2010, like a, f- a full redo of the whole book. Yes, I remember this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just oh. constant. People are co- people just love to call out what the ideal uniform is, and it always is based on the ex- having the exact brand. With the exact mm-hmm. logo, or may- not even a logo, because nothing really exudes more quiet um, elitism than having something that doesn't even have a logo, but everybody knows what it is. Totally. <laughs> um, and I did stumble across some nuggets of history from the 80s that I thought was super interesting that I just wanted to share really quickly. And this actually echoes those themes in Black Ivy and the revolutionary Black men disguising themselves in Ivy fashion that we kind of talked about in the last episode. So there's a theory from a 2022 documentary, which I have not watched yet, and I I promise I will. It's called The Andy Warhol Diaries. I think it's on mm-hmm. Netflix. Um, and it, it's based on Warhol's actual personal daily journal. And it argues that Warhol and Jed Johnson, his longtime boyfriend, actually wore a preppy style uniform, including crewnecks and khakis and tweed blazers, as a form of cosplay or drag to actually hide in plain sight while living a queer lifestyle in a time when LGBTQ plus people and culture was highly stigmatized. And I have a feeling if we dig in deeper, we'll actually see a much bigger trend with counterculture people than we could ever believe. Um, I'm sure if you even just thought for half a second, you know, uh, you'll think of other people that probably dress like this as sort of like a counterculture movement. In disguise. You know, we recently watched an episode of The Love Boat where Andy Warhol was the guest. Oh my gosh. That's exciting. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, I have way new respect for this show. <laughs> also, you're rewatching The Love Boat. Good for you. Uh, it's very comforting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like it would have been, and I don't want to insult anybody's work. I know the bar for television in the late 70s and early 80s was lower. Mm. You know, this is a pre-prestige TV era. But uh, wow, it seems like you and I could have gone and been writers for a Love Boat like no prob. <laughs> Like, just uh, like throw a couple of ideas down on a post it, throw it to the actors. You got a show. Cause I'm always like, this plot, I don't understand it. It's like too dumb or it's really problematic. Oh. Or, but the Andy Warhol one was basically this woman. It turned out her big secret was that she used to like hang out with Andy Warhol's crowd. But now she was married and lived in the Midwest. And her husband, who was played by the dad from Happy Days, uh, Tom Bosley, oh, I think is his yeah. name. Why do I know that? Because we looked up Tom Bosley at the time. We were like squabbling about his name. And uh, he is like a traditional, like they live in Iowa or something. And she doesn't want him to find out that she had this this past hanging out with artists oh, in New York City. God forbid. And then, and then Andy comes up to her and is like, hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. And he's like, how do you know this freak? Anyway, it was really silly. But I love that Andy Warhol and his like entourage we're on the love that boat. That is hilarious. <laughs> Amazing. How on on trend for them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I'm sure that they were getting a kick out of it, too. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. How fun. I would love to be on the love boat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now I'm going to get into the 90s. Okay. And um, the 90s 
you know, <laughs> brought a much more shrunken, a slight a hornier. A horn, let's yeah. just say it, real horny, sl- sexier, real horny. sexier twist on a theme. Um, <laughs> you know, in style did a whole um, article about the evolution of preffy style. Um, and so I'm going to quote from here because I think they said it pretty well. Um, Pants styles were lower. Boot cuts were in. I mean, pictured, Amanda. And Britney Spears turned looking like a sexy schoolgirl, complete with a white button down and pleated skirt into a major thing. Plus, while oversized grunge definitely had a moment during this decade, you could argue that some preppy elements like all the plaid and nodding shirts this time around your waist were still there. It was prep, new millennium style, and J. Crew was hitting its stride. People wanted those nautical roll neck sweaters and envisioned themselves looking like a castmaster of Dawson's Creek. In fact, the cast really did appear in a 1998 J. Crew catalog. Okay, so did you watch Dawson's Creek when it was on? Ah. Uh, uh, did I watch it when it was on? I think I watched it after. I had a friend get me into it. I didn't have a television, so I would go over to his house to watch it every week. And I remember at the time being like, this is a pretty good show. But first off, everybody did look so preppy, all of them. And yes. I don't know. It doesn't take place in New England, right? It's like in North Carolina so, or something. Yeah. Anyway, uh, not watchable now. I, oh, I really? just am like, I don't care about these people. They need to get over it. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> Grow up, I mean, because you clearly are already in your 20s. I think it's also because of that meme that went around forever that was like, you know, it would be the shot of Dawson, like, crying, ugly crying, and people would put words over it, and it would make me laugh every time. Because, uh, oh, you know, like, yes. it's, it's pretty iconic. If you've seen it, you've seen it. I think that also made me feel like maybe this show doesn't hold up. <laughs> know why but watching it now it's like oh this could have been better <laughs> i wish i'd never rewatched it <laughs> i mean you know but it was de- it definitely had a following within you know like that a certain uh, you know a certain pretty much a lot of the kind of popular kids or the kids that wanted to be popular watched it oh yeah it, it wasn't really m- my thing i think what was i watching i couldn't i couldn't even tell you maybe Probably Sex in the City or something. I don't. Th- I think Dawson's Creek was a little too hokey for me. Like it was hokey. Mm-hmm. I mean, the song was that like I don't want to yes. wait. You know, um, which I heard today, and wait, I was like, really? the song is yeah. Well, I today I was working at the mall, um, so you know I liked Orange Julius. No, I was mm. doing a new merch setup mm-hmm. at the mall, and uh, I got to hear all the mall music, and I heard that song, and I also heard that like it's this. I swear, if it came out the same year, I wouldn't be surprised that like where have all the cowboys gone? Wow. Song like for some reason the Barton Creek square mall here in austin was like let's go lilith let's go today full lilith full nostalgia core we really want to evoke what feelings occurred in the malls in the 90s (laughs) when people were going to abercrombie yes when people were really shopping let's let's get them back in the mood (laughs) <laughs> okay, so, and actually, speaking of that, uh, the 90s was also where we see the rise of Abercrombie Fitch and Hollister. Um, Crazy. And these guys, I, they did a lot of da- damage, uh, you know, because they set a precedent for what Americana kind of looked like or, uh, you know, aspired to be. Um, 
or aspire, I guess was, was aspiring, um, which was ostensibly, you know, exclusionary, you know, it was white men who spent a lot of time in the gym, you know, no shade Mm -hmm. there. Good for you. But, you know, um, and it reinforced that image of what Americana quote unquote should look like. Um, And it was setting this like illusion of what wealth and status and, you know, you know, all the those things that prep has done for years, but in the minds of youth, literally the world over. Yes. Yeah, wow. And if you haven't watched Netflix White Hot about all the toxic and discriminatory practices at Abercrombie, I know I can speak for Amanda here. Recommend. Mm-hmm. It's it didn't surprise me, no. but I mean it's a lot of these brands. Mm-hmm. Uh you go back and research Uh, Victoria's Secret like all of the iconic big retail brands of this time period were really ugly behind the scenes and I have never bought anything from Abercrombie and Fitch or Hollister but what I associate most with them beyond knowing that they are racist and fat phobic and yes exactly horny uh is the cologne and it's like if you've smelt it you know it right there was a abercrombie and fitch in downtown portland like not even in a mall just like outside right like on the street and you would walk by on the sidewalk and the cologne came out in a cloud always right one time i was on a flight from Chicago to Portland. And I sat down next to a guy, the guy next to me came in with a big Abercrombie and Fitch shopping bag, which he put in the overhead compartment. He was wearing a big Abercrombie logo sweatshirt and a hat. Um, And he reeked of the cologne to the point where my, like I could taste it. And he spent the entire, entire (laughs) flight chewing tobacco and spitting it into a Diet Coke can. It was traumatic. So I have a lot of bad feelings about Abercrombie and Fitch. Also, when I was working retail at Urban Outfitters, anytime someone came with an Abercrombie and Fitch bag, it was because they were going to shoplift. It was just like such a strange thing. I know. Also, you guys have all heard me talk about my ex-boyfriend, Baxter, the one who worked at American Apparel and was like, yeah. The thief. Yeah. Uh, he would do this thing if we we like to go to the mall <laughs> together. Sometimes I mean, we go there to like. There was nothing to do back then. Of there course. was nothing to do. I get that. He would drag me. Uh, we'd be walking, and he would quickly. If we walked by a Hollister or an Abercrombie, he would grab me really fast and pull me into the store and start spraying cologne everywhere <gasps> around me, and then drag me back out. Rude. Rude. Anyway, so rude. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is that like I only think bad things about this brand. Yeah. One good thing I will say about them, I guess I'm going to give them one compliment at the end, is in their peak era, their stuff was very high quality. Yes, it was. It was very high quality. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they had that going for them. But, like, otherwise, I don't have much nice to say about them. I mean, yeah, because I guess you can probably now actually still find Abercrombie from that period because it's so high quality. It's not like it's fallen apart, Mm -hmm, you know? So mm -hmm. it's probably the secondhand thrifting. It's got to be pretty choice. I mean, I, what what do I know? But I would not thrift Abercrombie personally because I really have <laughs> bad connotations as well. You know, I think for a lot of us, it leaves a bad taste in our mouths for sure. I think that they have. I know that they are trying to make a comeback. Uh, I think they have a hill to climb, a much bigger hill than J. Crew. I mean, that Netflix show Oof. can't can't be helping. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I feel the same way about. Uh, 
Victoria's Secret, who Ooh, like last yeah. year brought in a new CEO and was like, "We're gonna be, we're gonna be body positive and all this stuff." And you're you like, know what? Really I, now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Ugh. I was I was at the mall like a month ago. Uh, the parent company that I work for hired a new COO. And he just like wanted to go to the mall with me. And we walked by Victoria's Secret and he was, he said, when are they just going to go out of business? And I said, I know, like, I I don't know how Victoria's Secret comes back either. Yeah. Who do you think has a harder comeback? Victoria's Secret or Abercrombie? Victoria's Secret. I think so too. Yeah. But they're both hard. I think J. Crew, all they did was make bad product decisions. Mm -hmm. They didn't just like, I don't do all kinds of hateful, discriminatory things. I mean, I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. I mean, there's been, they have. But. We we don't know. We don't know, right? But so they're coming out ahead just because they did a better job of hiding it. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually, maybe that documentary is coming soon. I'd watch it. Actually, I'm about to kind of get into just a teeny, teeny, teeny bit of it. But oh, cool. Um, okay. Because now we're actually going to talk about the tw- the 2000s, our one of our favorite time periods. Seriously. Um, so when the aughts rolled around, like you know the 2000s. Preppy found yet another iteration. And Amanda, I'm sure you remember this because we actually talked about it in the last um, episode. But Jenna Lyons, right? Jenna Lyons. Jenna Lyons. Iconic. Iconic, yeah. She came onto the scene really in 2008 as the creative director of J. Crew. Uh, And she crafted a much more celebrated, fashion approved, of course, and whimsical Mm -hmm. variation. Um, and she was, of course, considered a style icon herself. Um, she embraced color, a quirkier point of view that than has ever really been seen before because it's kind of twee. It was almost like a, a preppy tweeness, um, hipsterness. Um, they had these flower necklaces, I remember oh specifically, that you would, I swear, I even saw one on Sex in the City at some point, and they were like, they were not what you would think of when you would think of J. Crew because they like tied with a ribbon and they were colorful and they were like bedazzled flowers, basically, Ugh. as a necklace. Uh, it sounds so weird, but I remember seeing people wearing them. I remember going to market and seeing the knockoff versions of them and then being like, we're doing the J. Crew thing. And I'd be like, no, nope, nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. The J- yeah. yeah, I mean, she really kind of changed the 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 visual styling of of preppy and kind of how it was added color mm-hmm. for sure yeah it call color added a lot of style added some accessories um you know and that that kind of freshness it it it, it like enticed of course um you know the former first lady but also anna wintour um mm-hmm. and then of course you know the masses of women that were kind of you know, gravitating towards this, particularly during a recession. So having some colorful mm-hmm. options to wear to the office and even on weekends. And everything was under $200, uh, you know, um, if you didn't go to the premium collection, of course. Um, and it was accessible <laughs> at your local mall. And of course, it was white AF. You know, if you look at a lot of the, the models and the catalogs, yeah, yeah. It, it still was hell white, you know? Um which of course is problematic, and um, you know that's kind of the 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 what I was talking about. Of yeah, okay, you know maybe they didn't do so many so many terrible things, but you know they still spread that um, that visual um, conversation of who this style is for. Um, 
anyway, but for uh, J. Crew, I've kind of put, posted in here um, this picture of J. Crew's sales um, and to, the 2015 and the kind of what was happening. Um, and I'll, you know, that'll be available on the website. Um, but for J. Crew, you know, sales were running high until 2015. Mm-hmm. But that included Madewell. And I think yeah. that's really important to call out too. What I've always heard is that for about the last 10 years, Madewell has been keeping J. Crow afloat. That the situation was actually way worse than we we're probably hearing because Madewell was doing so well. Right. Yeah. Um, I didn't get that. Sorry. Siri was like, decided <laughs> to talk to us. Siri's like, I got something to add. It's like, <laughs> okay, my my memories of J. Crew. What? No, just kidding. So, well, uh, um, so 2015 was kind of this turning point, particularly in the zeitgeist and in the, um, the what was happening in kind of the market sphere. So, Scandi minimal style mm. was real big, um, and you know, preppy style was really suffering because. M- Minimal, you know, millennial pink, minimal style. That shit was just on fire. Athleisure was huge. And of course, they were doing like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, chinos and um, jackets and blazers. And, you know, you know, that wasn't necessarily particularly the look over there at J. Crew. And then most notably, Everlane actually came in. And was stealing customers. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. I didn't either until I started reading about it. And how big of a deal Everlane actually was. Um, it stole customers from J. Crew, Brooks Brothers, and you know, a lot of different preppy um style. Because, you know, not everyone wants to do the scanty minimal style. Um and so around 2015, um, yeah, that's kind of where where J. Crew really kind of started getting crippled by a lot of these the, these inner forces, um, and then they filed for bankruptcy not long after um, in 2020. And the Financial Times, oh, I'm sorry, Brooks Brothers also started to struggle around this same time. Mm, I remember that, and they actually filed for bankruptcy also around that same time that J. Crew did in 2020. So, I mean, it wasn't, so it's like J. Crew wasn't in a bubble, you know, it wasn't in a void. It was happening to a lot of other preppy um, kind of re- retailers also. So the Financial Times reported um, on the fall of preppy fashion, and in particular, J. Crew and Brooks Brothers, and wrote in a 2020 article while hindsighting the J. Crew bankruptcy, um, which I'm actually linking to our show notes. It's actually a pretty good article. Um, and they interview Abra Belk. I think that's how she pronounces her name. Um, a former Washington lobbyist, lobbyist who runs an influential Capitol Hill style blog. So really, a point of view that we, you know, we have no <laughs> idea that this is happening. No but idea. Fascinating. And she was this loyalist of J. Crew in the aughts and into the early aughties. And she said that you know, something like 80% of her wardrobe was J. Crew during that time. Okay. Um, and then she had recounted kind of in this article that she realized that, you know, she was not um, read, like the brand wasn't resonating with her anymore because uh, Jenna Lyons was 
pushing the brand further and further into this unaccessible fashion moment. That makes sense to me. It definitely changed a lot. It was starting to be a lot more like anthropology-ish. It was was not what the brand was built on anymore. Yeah, definitely. Um, And so she said in May of 2020, and I quote, Today in Washington, the whole city is wearing Everlane. That's the look now. Not quite hipster, but certainly more modern than the preppy American sportswear look for five, six years there. Um, So the direct-to-consumer brands cashmere crewneck sweaters, wide leg crops, and ballet flats are the new women's uniform on Capitol Hill. It's not Mm -hmm. just aesthetics that resonate. It's values around transparency and sustainability do too. You know... We all know that what, what happens with the Everlane's claims. <sighs> like right after that. Immediately after, of course. You know, so it is interesting to see. It's a hindsight. So we're hindsighting a hindsight. Um, but Everlane's claims of radical sense sustainability began to unravel just a few months after this quote. And I would love to know where the hell they're shopping now. Maybe they're going back to J.K. Who knows? Or maybe they're staying with Everlane. Maybe it didn't turn them off necessarily. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at the uh, Everlane website right now because I realized I haven't looked at Everlane in years Mm -hmm. because I don't care about them. And one of their new arrivals are the modern loafer. Oh, they have all of these like wide leg pants. I mean, this is that look. I suspect they're still doing okay with this customer. Gosh, there's so many loafers and ballet flats. You know, Uh, they have been struggling. I actually looked it up because I was curious. They're still struggling a bit. They did a big layoff recently. Have they ever been profitable? I don't think they have. They're sort of like the one of the last holdouts of that era of just crazy investment in e-com businesses. Like we've seen so many other ones fall apart in that in that interim, like, you know, they've, it's just been one after another, but, um, but they're still going somehow. I, it's interesting to look at their website now, because I do think that when they first arrived on the scene, they were trying to be a little cooler. They were they a were little more disruptive. Yeah. yeah. But now they're definitely not. No, they're not. I mean, and I told you, like, I was always shocked when I would go buy an Everlane store and literally see a line out the door. I have you ever bought anything from them? No, I bought one thing one time. Mm-hmm. It was a raincoat. Okay, because I was like, this is when I lived in Portland. I was like, I just want a black raincoat. Why is it so hard to just find a really basic raincoat? And it came, and it was just so phenomenally, phenomenally disappointing. Like the quality was not good. Wow, it wasn't very water resistant, <laughs> despite no the kidding. claims. Otherwise, yeah, the fit was really odd. And it made me really, it made me long for this Gap black raincoat that I got, I think, in high school or early college that I had forever that was infinitely better quality and probably less expensive. Um, and after the raincoat thing, I just was like, I don't, I don't think no. I like Everlane. No, that's, it's not my aesthetic anyway. It's, it's not, not yours you're not going to be a loyalist to this. No, no, it was very disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen things and they always feel kind of crisp and uncomfortable to me. Yeah, um, but you know, far be it for me to just you know, I, I, you're either going to shop if you need classics and you need this kind of look, like if you're going to shop at Everlane, you're going to shop at J Crew. I mean, uh, where where else are you shopping? 
I'm sure there's a right, lot of places. Right. I mean, I mean, you could do I secondhand, just, of course. Of course. I feel like Everlane was just hyped so hard. Like at that time, my employer at that time was always like, I want us to be Everlane. And I'd be like, I don't think you do. Like I, I could tell as a buyer that Everlane, Everlane's numbers didn't make sense to me. The retails didn't make sense with what they were promising. And I was like, I can't understand how this is a profitable business based on the pricing that they're, they're offering to their customers. And I know they're not buying in that kind of volume. Yeah. They're not buying in like gap volume, okay? They don't have 600 stores to fill. Do you know what I mean? And so when I bought the raincoat and it was wildly disappointing, I was like, there you go. That's where the math makes yeah, sense. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, because they were doing the sustainable transparency, the radical, sorry, radical <sighs> transparency. We're like, all right, this is how much everything costs and things that go into it. I mean, they just really, they, like, during during that, that their fall, I mean, it was, they were doing everything wrong. They were just, just they were literally uh, lying to people about the transparency. They were discriminating. They were, like, like messing up unions. I mean, it was bad. That's why it's I mean, like, it I doesn't feel like there's like you can really come back, particularly if people were really buying it because they wanted to to buy something that had the values. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now. I just googled Everlane, and a million articles that were clearly like paid affiliate content came yes. up for jeans that are under fifty dollars. Right? No. Um, and I that cost think, is coming out of somewhere. Even if you don't have the wholesale markup, like yeah. that, how much do you think that that gene then has to cost? I guess they probably tell you, doesn't? Don't they? I don't think they do. Do they? Um, I I mean, it must cost them like seven dollars. Like that's just my guess. Um, it. I know that more bad news has come out about them over the past few years like just more whispers about like uh, secret toxic culture and, i mean it all it all makes sense to me right like when people are like we're going to be ethical fast fashion which is basically what everlane's plan was that those things don't add up you know mm-hmm. it's the same thing with reformation reformation was like we're going to be fast fashion but ethical and sustainable and it's like well then you missed the point about what fast fashion is yeah 100%. and you ha- like i i think Everlane, it's not like Everlane's stuff is cheap, right? It's not like the prices if you want to buy a pair of jeans at Target or something. But I can tell you that those $50 jeans from Everlane are not going to be much better than the ones at Target or actually on par or less quality because Target has infinitely more buying power. Yeah. And can get higher quality stuff at a lower price yeah. than Everlane can. So I just, I'm, I'm just, I, I mean, I, you know, Everlane has always seemed really scammy to me. I think more and more people are catching on to that, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were gone in five years because I don't even know what Everlane means anymore. Now that we've seen that all their radical transparency wasn't real. Yeah. What else do they have? They don't have another leg to stand on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't know what their brand is. (sighs) Thank you, Amanda. No, I know. It's interesting to talk about Everlane and J. Crew and like all these kind of brands that, you know, that have kind of hit some sort of note with us or we we kind of have been following for a while. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, the freshness and the novelty and the ease of that DTC area brand, because that's what, that's what it was. It was like 2015, 2016. Okay, DTC brands. Like that People was so People would give cool. you, they'd just be like, let me write you a check. Right. 
for a million dollars. Exactly. And, you know, and and it really crushed a lot of brands that, you know, because, you know, but other brands, other DTC uh, brands and categories, of course, were really affecting sales for everyone else. Um, And then, of course, the retail apocalypse, Um, you know, that really affected tons of brands, particularly preppy brands and ones not just like J. Crew or Brooks Brothers were struggling. It was like, you know, Abercrombie and The Gap and basically anyone that was based on a mall concept and having a lot of mall doors, um, you know, was being affected by this retail apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. You know what is interesting, and I would love to hear your thought on this. That's not the theme of this episode, but <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And you and I have talked about this. Like, what would the impact of the pandemic be on brick and mortar retail? You know, especially after years of you and I working in an industry that was like brick and mortar is over, right? We were like really in the in the thick of our careers when DTC became the thing. And those were the darling brands that everybody wanted to invest money in. By the way, everyone, DTC means direct to consumer. Um, do you think that perhaps uh, brick and mortar retail is is on an upswing right now? Because yeah, I think it I is. I do. I do. I absolutely yeah. do. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, people are kind of over online shopping in many ways. And of course, there are some things you'll buy online because they're more convenient. But when it comes to things like clothes or even gifts, uh, people enjoy the experience of shopping they in do. real life. It's experience. Um, and it is it's better for clothes. Getting yeah. out of the house, really, just an excuse to go somewhere. Totally, totally. And I, in this DTC era of like Everlane and Away and Glossier and Allbirds and all these other brands that were just like, everybody was aspiring to be their thing was like, Oh, we make retail work for us in real life by having experiential elements. So then it was like, if you're going to open a store, you have to have some sort of experience in there. It's like a million dollar build out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the only way you're going to get people to go in. And I just don't think people care about that anymore either. It's not authentic, Mm -hmm. right? It just doesn't feel right. It's got to be Instagram worthy. Like everyone wants to take a picture of like this, like backdrop and ugh. Oh, totally. You had to have an Instagram spot in your store. I just don't think people care about that as much now. They're more like, I want a real experience. I want quality product. I want to be able to try things on. I want it to be easy. And, you know, I think that we have seen in the past couple of years, I feel like periodically you and I are like doing a roundup of what DTC or girl boss brands have <laughs> gone by the wayside, right? And like, we love one it. great example is, is Glossier. Mm-hmm. So Glossier... Uh, is the most to me one of the most iconic girl boss brands, right? Uh, and it's had it has been struggling for a couple years. I know, like their CEO stepped down, you know, who was also the founder, and they've brought in some other leadership. They were acquired, and there's like all kinds of stuff going on. And they, after years of being like an online only brand with like three stores that had like crazy, they were Instagram stores. There was like the product wasn't even on the sales floor, right? You had to like get it. They would bring it down to you. It was like a whole thing. Uh, They are opening stores like crazy. Wow. I'm going to look it up right now because I think it's really interesting that they uh, have just gone after years of being like the DTC darling into like we are opening stores everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like they a lot of people are doing that. Right. And I think that says a lot. So they always have that store in New York City. They have one in Atlanta. 
one in Brooklyn, DC, London, LA, multiple in LA, actually, Miami, Philadelphia, Seattle. I mean, they are just like rolling out stores nonstop. I mean, did you know that they finally decided to go into Sephora? I heard they did a lot of reformulation to make it work financially for them to be wholesale. Oh, does that mean that it got crappier? This is what I hear. So, you know, I like to spy on random yes. subreddits. That, you like, love I, a subreddit? I love a subreddit. <laughs> thank and, thank like, God, because I'm not, a, I will not get, I will not Sometimes go it there. gets pretty intense, but I believe that I started following the Glossier subreddit like four years ago when I was like, is there a cheaper version to Wow Brow? Because I was like, Wow Brow is such a scam. It lasts for like seven days and the tube is empty and it's like 20 bucks. Like there's got to be something. So I think that's how I got sucked into this one. Mm-hmm. I haven't bought anything Glossier since then. And that's how I stay up on the latest Glossier comings and goings. And apparently they have been doing a ton of reformulation. They're like iconicbalm.com. They completely reformulated. People are freaking out. <laughs> oh, no. The quality is not there. They raised all the prices. It seems like where Glossier really makes its money now is selling, and this is in quotes, limited edition merch. Like a mug that says oh, Glossier. No. Yeah, it's it's really weird. Like water bottles and stickers and, you know, scar- silk scarves. and all. It's like so weird to me, but people, people collect it. People lose their minds. I've been watching this bomb.com reformulation drama going on for like months now <laughs> where people are like on eBay with like original formula mango bomb.com selling it for like $100 right. for one tube. And I'm like, it's not, guys, it's like not that great. Just relax. Wow. <laughs> I can come up with some better options for you on that front. Um, but like, yeah, I, I think it's interesting to see a brand like that that was so iconically online only and direct to consumer opening stores and now wholesaling to Sephora. Yeah. And remember, Sephora is also in like Kohl's and JCPenney. This is a big shift for a brand that has always been brand first. I think it's interesting. It is very interesting. Who, do, who will be next? Oh, my gosh. I... I mean, I, I know Everlane has some stores, whatever. I we don't know what's going on there, but like as I don't know. I it's it seems like a lot of those DTC brands don't exist in the same way anymore. Like the well, pandemic was rough for them. I definitely think this is a podcast episode. Noted. Yeah. That would be a great one for you. Check. Yeah. Check. Uh, I can fill you in on any other subreddit activity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um so anyway, we're talking about preppy stuff, guys, in yeah. case you wondered. <laughs> yeah, we just got off topic. But you know what? But I have a feeling a lot of people that wear J. Crew and the preppy uniform also shopped on Glossier. So, you know, I'm there sure there's a relevance there. Um, but that actually takes us to the, to where we are right now and kind of the current state of events. Um, so after preppy as a trend had been experiencing this notable decline in popularity over the past few years. The pandemic happened. <laughs> yeah. If you don't remember. What? And, uh, well, you know, we were basically wearing sweats for a while, which yeah. is kind of like the antithesis of prep. Um, so uh, now that aesthetic is actually primed to make a comeback, and it really is. I mean, it would be imprudent 
to not note that some could argue that preppy, in essence, has never left us. You know, oxers and polos and flat front chinos are considered kind of just clothes. No, it's just general, just clothes (laughs) consumed by the majority of people. So what we're kind of talking about here is preppy for the minority, you know, the fashion forward, the trendsetters, icons, social media darlings, cool kids, probably a lot of our listeners here, you know, Mm -hmm. and this preppy is modernizing, you know, since the pandemic really sparked the more collective pushing back on established systems, prep is like this big juicy target for a lot of the rebellious fashion folks to, uh, you know, interrupt and shove over and chop up and refashion, you know, take that challenge of taking prep and uh, kind of reprogramming it to this new um, zeitgeist. Uh, And that is exactly what's happening. It's a reinvention and rebranding, if you will, to make it more uh, equitable and appropriate for the cultural climate that we actually reside in today. So preppy and Ivy Styles, kind of original, overly white, you know, I'm just thinking of the Abercrombie ads, uh, privileged elitist connotations that really built its cultish following clashes with the current vibes. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things that is being done is the march to the proverbial bronze statue in the center of the town that was so closely associated with elitism through celebrating privilege, wealth, and whiteness, and to just tear it down. And not just tearing down, but reflecting as well as uh, doing what can be done to slowly kind of heal those wounds that were left in its wake, uh, to modernize its own narrative in a time when social disruption like income equality and white supremacy culture directly opposes these uh, original tendencies of the preppy aesthetic. Um, And a preppy rebellion is boiling over And out of the ashes, a new phoenix fledgling of the preppy is born. Kind of weird and wild, twisted and surprisingly a bit more inclusive. So, you know, what's changed? (laughs) Well. Yeah. What's uh, changed? Of course, if you listen to the pod in the past um, and you've been watching the trend cycles of late, you likely already know what I'm going to say. So number one is an offer uh, is an effort to offer racial equalization. Um, And this one I obviously have first and foremost, because I definitely think it's one of the most important turns of the hourglass. And also in response to my mention earlier in this podcast from the first um, the first episode is the equitable introduction of POC to the narrative. And I'm happy to report that there have been a few moving parts happening to change the tides in that regard. Uh, Most notably, in March of 2022, naturally, March, okay, right on the the heels of Black History Month, um, you know, which always kind of seems to be that time when brands tend <laughs> yeah, to Yeah, I know take it's so transparent. Obvious uh. notable action. And it does, it, yeah, it feels transparent. It feels performative. But they're doing something, and I'm just not going to get into it um, on, that, on that regard. Um, so Ralph Lauren launched its collaboration which H with HBCU, which is Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Um, and it's the same historic institutes that were written out of the visual script for years, um, even though that they were a large part of that trend in their community, in their culture. 
Um, so there's a full collection that um, that Ralph Lauren produced that includes outerwear and knits and tailored suits, dresses, footwear, accessories, that all reference styles worn by Morehouse and Spellman students from the 1920s to the 1950s. Um, and they relied on old photography and vintage pieces. I'm sure they have some real great pieces in their um, <laughs> in their closet, you know? Um, yeah. Or maybe they don't and they had to, to find them. Who knows? Yeah, I know. The bed buggering. The bed- <laughs> in, uh, so in 2021, also, just a year prior to the collaboration, and of course, you know, after the Black Lives uh, movement, Ralph Lauren did pledge over $2 million to HBCUs for scholarships to be uh, kind of spread out over the next five years. Um, but it is unlinked to the collection. So, you know, it does seem, you know, they're, they're making a little bit of movement there. Um, and I posted some photos here, some original old photos, um, and then some from the, um, the, uh, the collection. I mean, they're amazing. Yeah, they're, they, look, they look really cool. I mean, they really are based on historic reference pieces. Um, and so there have been mixed reviews, of course. You know, um, there is a notable level of discomfort with some critics of the collaboration suggesting that a certain nostalgia in the clothes for a time when people of color weren't accepted in predominantly white spaces. And it, they felt like it was kind of out of touch. Um, and there's an, you know, there's an article in that was done in 2022 by Charlotte Collins. And um, the article was actually featured in the Zoe report. Ooh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, a, a real new, a newsmaker, but it was a really well-written, you know, article. Um, and it's called How Black Craves Are Pushing Preppy Style Forward. And Charlotte is, I'm quoting Charlotte here, and she says, um, critics weren't comfortable revisiting an era, even aesthetically, of sit-in demonstrations and legal racial segregation. Still, while the line's evocative imagery didn't sit right with some, many others felt it was a necessary reframing to showcase Black models wearing a preppy style that African-Americans may not, not always be associated with, but one that they have equal claim to, and in fact participated in for over a century. So, you know, others really respected the reframing of American, quote-unquote, American style, um, and celebrating essentially rewriting that narrative. Because students mm-hmm. at HBCUs were just wearing the same style at the same time as their white counterparts, and right. finally writing them into the narrative and paying them the dues that they were excluded from for so many years and partnering with none other than one of the very same prestigious brands who had excluded them for years. Um, so to me, you know, ethically, it definitely feels a bit murky. Mm-hmm. It feels very capitalistic, you know, but that's, that's the world we live in. You know, Ralph Lauren is essentially making money off of the same people they discriminated against. Yeah. And working to absolve themselves of past indiscretions to align their brand with consumer values, like current consumer values, while also, on the other hand, championing and working to make reparations at the same time, you know, it's challenging. It's yeah, yeah. you see both, and you know, if they didn't do anything, it it felt like if that would be wrong, and they do something that would be wrong, yeah, you know. 
so no matter what, it's like, it's it's a tough one, but I'm, I am glad that they did it. And it looks really cool. Visually, I think it looks really yeah. good. And it's, looks, it, it's, it feels good to have even just like the imagery and the collections kind of out there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I worked for that knockoff line. We've mentioned it before. U.S. Polo, Sa- Polo Association. Side note, <laughs> you have to know, I mentioned this to you, that... Uh-huh. U.S. Polo Association is kind of like a premium trendy brand in Japan right uh, yes. now. Yes, yes, I heard. Does that? How does it make you feel? I actually understand it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, well, I get it because, and I'm going to talk about this in a second, but um, international, like they are an outlet brand, and international tourism is really where they make most of their money. Fascinating. And I don't think they have a huge distribution in Japan, so it's likely hard harder to find mm. it's just a little more precious um but what i was going to say is you know for years um in like the kind of mid audies uh, that's kind of where i was there you know that you would be hard pressed to see them ever use a poc as a oh, model yeah for um, sure and the executive team responsible for selecting and approving models preferred an all or mostly white, traditionally, quote-unquote, all-American casting. And, you know, really continued to disclude the, you know, POC from any narrative. And that was less than 10 years ago. And it was actually really embarrassing. You know, the buyers would talk about it. We would talk about it. We would note it and be like, oh, wow, they have a, they actually hired a black model for this, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was really embarrassing because I would have to go to the out stores a lot. Um, and those stores appealed to lower income consumers as well as international tourism. And just walking in and seeing blown up ads of smiling Ugh. blonde white people just felt so out of touch, even, even, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, it's obvious, like, <laughs> yeah. it definitely was noticeable. Um, and I've actually looked online recently and they definitely have changed their stripes. Wow. Have, that's amazing. Yes, they have a lot more um, diversity within their casting. Secondly, this is a kind of a two-parter of this, this sub-trend. So um, over the last few years, there's actually some introductions of some new brands um, that have been introduced to the space that are owned by POC, who directly speak to POC, who have been left out for so many years. Most of these new players combine sportswear and athleisure with a social purpose by giving back to the community to give access, opportunity, and sports sponsorships of club sports from tennis to polo, golf, uh, for POC and economic need to actually participate and excel in these sports that they were discluded from for so many years. Uh, and most of these founders were just witnesses to injustices and, you know, and, and experienced them themselves. Um, as well as exclusionary practices in club sports. So they kind of wanted to flip the script on historically exclusionary club sports down to the mm-hmm. apparel that was offered. Um, so new brand players like Ascot Manor, Manor Ascot Manor, let's say it correctly, uh, which was launched in 2017 as the first Black women-owned socially conscious tennis apparel and active leisure wear brand. Um, there's another one called Recreational Habits, which was launched a few years ago looking to, and I quote, bring the exclusive world of the preppy elite and their hobbies to the historically excluded. We believe that all people, regardless of color, should be able to experience the joy of recreational sport and living from, uh, from, oh gosh, is, 
equalitation, equitation. That's like, I know it's like, but horsemanship, but I've just never said it. (laughs) Equitation, probably equitation. That makes more sense. But it's it's horsemanship. (laughs) Horsemanship, because that's, I've really never seen it before. Uh, To golf, to hosting and galas. Our hope is to knock down country clubs, unspoken bias, and rewrite the rules unapologetically. And then last but not least, of course, Venus Williams also launched her own line, 11 of athleisure and sportswear designed um, designed apparel to give POC not just a more in- inclusive garments um, that actually have fit models that aren't the archetypal stick thin woman, but also inspire women, no matter their skin color, to be the best they can be. Um, and that actually kind of takes us in to this next trend, which is preppy athleisure. Um, hmm. You know, you know, uh, preppy, which is usually you know stuffy and crisp, traditionally uncomfy. You know, it's mm-hmm. moving into a new era of hybrid superpower. One of the trends that actually help take down the trend at leisure is now being one that's lifting them back up again. So preppy is embracing a sportier side with preppy athleisure taking over the airwaves, also being called tennis core and golf core. Um, of course, you remember the explosion of tennis in 2022. Yeah, yeah. And that damn tennis skirt that's everywhere. Well, she's <laughs> been building a lot more momentum. So fueled originally by nostalgic 1950s tennis uniforms and the iconic moment of in the 90s when Princess Diana wore a tennis skirt with an oversized fleece sweatshirt. This aesthetic is booming. So much so that many brands are offering nostalgic, nodding golf and tennis sport capsules, like a lot of them. Um, and there are also reports that uh, there are reports that Gen Z is picking up on sports like tennis and golf by way of fashion in droves. So, um, you know, this actually, this might be so super stupid, but you know that meme of like in what we've literally all experienced of a girl wearing a band t-shirt and a guy demands that they list three songs. Oh God, I hate it so much, but it's, it's real. I hate it. I hate it. And it happens. And I usually like the band and listen to them. So it's not usually too much of a problem besides just being really triggering and obnoxious. But now is our time to get back on all those guys. If you see them wearing a golf core look, to ask him what his top three favorite golfers are. And Arnold Palmer doesn't count because everyone right. knows that one. And um, what's his name? Um, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. You can't Thank say you. Tiger Woods either. No, yeah. you can't. Yeah, you can't say those ones. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> Anyone else? I can't. Else? I'm like out of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't. I clearly can't and wouldn't wear a golf core. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I was thinking about it. I was like pulling pictures. and I was like, I was like, it's cute. I'm like, I would never wear it, but it's cute. It is cute. Yeah, I would never wear it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the um, the third one. So in in a time where individualism, like right now, has actually eclipsed Preppy's deep-seated roots of actual conformity, the trend is taking on new elements of self-expression. So the style hybridization of Preppy with seemingly opposing forces has been making Preppy not just digestible, but actually appetizing. Preppy sleaze which was an absolute thing in the 2000s. Let us not forget about the hipster pop collars, blazers, mm-hmm. thick rim glasses, and scarf moments that fueled the trend back then 
and Blaine. Blaine. It was like Blaine core. It really was. And it was huge within the hipsters. And of yeah, course, definitely. That, that is coming back. We are revisiting it now. Also, Gothic Preppy, which really feels on par with uh, Netflix's Wednesday, which I actually mm-hmm. rewatched. Oh, wow. I liked it. I really like it. Um, and the costumes there, all of it would just lean sexier, cooler, darker, and contrarian. Um, or even the more tongue-in-cheek trends like Coastal Grandma, which really signals that nostalgic comfort, but just jokes at the reference point. Um, if you look at runways for this season for Fall 23, you see a lot of prep with dark, dangerous vibes, mixing punk and Victoriana, kind of spyware, and like distortion on scale, like these like wonderfully oversized jackets and itty-bitty pleated skirts. Um, you know, and of course, that's been happening for the past few seasons. You're kind of seeing it, you know, on social, you're seeing it on the runway, you're kind of seeing it transpiring in these very individualistic self-expression ways mm-hmm. that were that are the opposite of really what the, the, the trend was founded on. Um, number four, uh, you know, there's no need to go directly to a designer. You know, there's no need to go to J crew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it just isn't necessary to create this individualist version of this trend because it's huge in the thrifting world. You know, as secondhand enthusiasts are tracking down prep and ivy finds and troves, you can imagine a trend that's been around for well over a century must have so much available. You know, and Poshmark has even reported that there's been a spike in people searching for collegiate clothing and TikTok reports that the term, quote unquote, thrift shopping preppy has well over 200 million views. Wow. It's, it's big. It's just like under the, it's not even under the radar, but it's under my, it was under my radar. Um, so what's interesting about the trend is that the aesthetic actually encourages buying secondhand and reusing clothing. And it's getting the younger generation into recognizing like, you know, investment pieces and the longevity of the pieces. Kind mm-hmm. of, and, and noticing and recognizing that it goes against, that, that it, you know, it's different than those high trend items that they're getting, you know, and that they don't have to rely on fast fashion to capitalize on the trend. I totally agree. Like you can go on to Depop right now and search preppy. Wait, let's see how many results we get. Just preppy. Um, well, let's see. Wait, I have to 954,135 wow. search results. And I'm like scrolling through and some of it, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's the right attribute for it. But right. man, also seeing a lot of stuff we've already discussed right here. And this is just Depop. You know, I think I while I'm not going to be adopting like preppy style anytime soon, it's really great to once again see how a lot of current trends really they feed off of what's available out there in the secondhand space. Yes. And I love that. You don't need to go buy something new from J. Crew to be a part of it. Honestly, I was looking at J. Crew while we were talking about it earlier. And if you were looking for like iconic preppy, you'd be really disappointed at J. Crew right now. So it's like kind of still in a weird in-between stage, I right. think. Um, what what younger people are definitely envisioning as preppy. You can come and and get here. Now, something I was noticing recently is uh, people going back to Reddit. I'm sorry, everyone. I spent too much time in there. I don't know where I find time for Reddit. I don't know but apparently how, I mean, you're literally learning second languages. You I have know. I mean, I'm just job. like, yeah, I'm not ever going out or doing anything too fun. Um, but 
people are talking a lot about this. This is going to be, I want to hear your thought on this. They're using two words as synonyms. One is uh, preppy, right? Which we're talking about. The other is grand millennial, meaning like oh. grandma millennial. Yes. And they're using them as a synonym. And I, I see a distinction there, but I also see them as like two overlapping parts of a Venn diagram. Um, because I see grand millennial being used a lot when we talk about uh, decor, yeah, you know, and uh-huh. like home spaces. And it is, it's very um, bunny from Sex and the City. Oh, <laughs> like, you know, oh or gosh, like Charlotte's bunny. apartment on Sex and the City, you know. Oh my gosh. Um, and it's like that very like old money. That's Plaza Core. Yeah, it's Plaza Core, but in your home, right? And it was, it does make sense to me that you would be wearing preppy clothes to sit there. Um, but I guess that there are right. some influencers in that wear space. Preppy clothes to sit in your preppy like abode. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's the whole package, and I guess there are some. I don't really. I try to avoid influencers. One, I don't have the time, and two, they annoy me. But uh, start, hashtag not all influencers. There are great ones out there too, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But uh, there are influencers influencers who are really claiming this millennial grand, grand millennial aesthetic as like who they are. Um, and it's interesting because I then I was like, oh, I need to learn more about this. And there was one of them who was like literally buying like Ralph Lauren wall paint. And I was like, wow, okay, I guess I see the intersection here. I don't know. I will probably be doing yeah. a future episode on this decor trend. That's fascinating. That's I, yeah. that's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. you don't you don't get a lot of uh, like mind blowing fashion content on Reddit, but every once in a while, I'll find a kernel there that I'm like, huh? Oh, yeah. These people are talking about because they were for a while there was so there's this subreddit called Blog Snark where they just like talk shit about everyone on the internet, like influencers and stuff like that, and it definitely goes over the top, but they have different conversation threads every week. And one for quite a while was like preppy aesthetic for people who wanted to buy preppy clothes. Oh, really? But it is not what you're thinking about. Like it, there were tons of like those what Hill House home nap yes. dresses. And yes. I was like, that's not preppy to me, but that's what they were calling it. You know? I can actually imagine a lot of like preppy people wearing it though. Like, Maybe during pandemic mm-hmm, life, they're exactly. like, oh, I got to get a nap dress. Anyway, I think it has since become this like preppy grand millennial thread. Um, and it's really back to being more focused on influencers. I mean, not, yeah, influencers who that's their specialty. It doesn't seem like there are too many because I saw the same names over and over again. <laughs> but perhaps if any of you were listening mm-hmm. and wanted to become an influencer, this could be your thing. That's true. Grand millennial. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Um, okay, well, this one's the last trend inside of a trend that I'm just kind of gonna gonna touch on, and it's our good friend nostalgia. Of course, she keeps giving. Yep, all the time. Yep. So the reoccurring theme that just literally cannot stop is driving some of this prep craze back into our hearts and our closets. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing more nostalgic than something being defined as heritage. So it's true. <laughs> the academia trend is no stranger to us, with dark academia being one of the longest lasting aesthetics from 2020 alongside cottagecore. So her gentler counterpart is called light academia. Um, and that is seriously trending amongst fashion influencers and quote unquote soft girls. 
So while spookier, moodier folks continue to evoke dark academia, um, both take nostalgic and vintage cues, and both are similarly inspired by extensively heavy mood boarding. Um, you know, they, they both speak the same language, but there's a light and a dark one. So in October of 2022, In Style threatened that like, light academia is going to actually eclipse cottagecore. Can you mm. believe that? I you heard mean, it here. It does. F- I, I guess we'll see it. I, I actually do believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It feels like it could be the next evolution for a lot of people. They're either going to go this direction or they're going to become like fairies or something. <laughs> you this know, is, they're going to go really more beige. Ren Faire. It's really yeah, tan. It's very beige. You know, off yeah, lights. Yeah. Uh, it's very harmonious looking. It feels mm-hmm. very Wes Anderson. It does. It's like it's like twee, but very low color. Very, yeah. very, very beige. But it is twee and mm-hmm. but but beige. It's like be- <laughs> I guess there's a lot of beige in twee. Yeah. This I can appreciate this aesthetic. This is not for me. You're not gonna see me wearing a beige. I'm basically beige colored, so I would just be invisible. <laughs> and you would be like, where did Amanda go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's but, it's, it's fascinating yeah. to see i you know i didn't even th- i always thought about dark academia i never really thought about what light academia was good to know mm-hmm. good to know. it's just so interesting how how many of these aesthetics just keep emerging and they're yeah. all like one step away from the previous one yes they keep evolving yeah. you know and of course there's other nostalgic prep and ivy inspired aesthetics that we have talked about uh mm-hmm. hashtag old money what you'd already mentioned, Plaza Core. Um, mm-hmm. Those things are hot and they really are, they're, they are founded on Preppy. Um, and they can read both Ivy and actually a bit Sloan Ranger as well. So blurring those lines um, of what nostalgia is um, and what each one of those, um, those aesthetics actually are. And that is the end of my diatribe on prep. Yeah, wow. It was very educational. Like I said, when we, I mean, like Kim said at the beginning, this could easily be like 30 episodes mm-hmm. because there is so much more to dig into in terms of what prep, preppy culture is and how it relates to our society. Um, don't forget, she shouted this out in the previous, I think you shouted this out in the previous episode, right? the Avery Truffleman mm-hmm. podcast, Articles of Interest, just a little series on it, digging more into the sociology of it. Five stars, highly recommended. Mm-hmm. I think you'll all love it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess that's all we have for this week. Um, yeah. <laughs> thanks. thanks. Thanks for listening. Everyone. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. And yeah. thanks, Amanda, for no air horn. Bow, bow, bow. Oh, there it is. There You're it right. is. I knew this episode was missing a little something. That's what <laughs> well, it was. I thought, wasn't it like the jazz hands noise? Oh, yeah. How does that go? Oh, I'm not going to tell you. <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. Oh, my God, guys. I'm failing. That's why we need the guy <laughs> from the police academy. RIP. Maybe. We didn't even confirm that. One of you is going to send us a mean message about it. Maybe not. We'll 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 confirm on this one. <laughs> Don't worry about we'll it. You don't back. need to message us about mm-hmm. it. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.